Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So, uh, Happy New Year, right? I hope that you had a good Christmas uh, wherever you were in the, uh, what was it, winter bomb, cyclone thing? That was... That was rough. I was four hours north, so I don't, I don't know exactly how cold it was here, but it was colder uh, there. Uh, but man, it, it, was, it was good to be with uh, family. I hope that you had a good Christmas. Thank you for being here uh, with us today. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue what we've done over probably the last one or two years. We're going to use the first service of the year uh, to kind of talk about a vision element that we're pointing into over uh, the next year. And so as we're going to kind of get ready to do that, I want you to know that we're not looking for like New Year's resolution energy out of you. Like I don't want like an excitement for uh, six to 22 days from you. I want to show you where we want to go for the next year and beyond. And I want to ask you to come with us as we do. So we're going to talk about a big picture element uh, that through prayer, uh, the elements, uh, the elders feel like God is pushing us Towards. So, so here's the, the understanding. We preach exegetically through books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section. We normally pick books that coincide with something God is wanting to do or teach us or develop us in. Uh, but there's going to be themes or areas that are going to be outside of the realm of exegetical preaching that we think God is pressing us towards that we need to more clearly state, hey, this is what God's laid us on our hearts. This is where we're going. And that's what we're doing today. Uh, We're casting vision, we're sharing with you where we're headed, and we're going to also explain the the why uh, of it. We don't want to just say, hey, go this way. It's, hey, this is where God is leading us towards, and this is biblically why will you come with us. We have a five-part series we did uh, about identity and vision on our 10-year anniversary right around then, so just a little bit over a year ago. If you're newer to us or you didn't hear those uh, and you're more interested in what we're doing and why we do what we do, those are available on uh, the podcast. So I just remind you, even though this is about vision, if there's more that you want to know about, there we, well, we have a bit more of that available uh, to you. So before we dig into the area of vision for today and we unpack that, I want to remind you of what we've worked at intentionally for the year 2022. We focused all of our energy or a large part of it on what we called uh, growing in a faithful biblical worldview which is for us the desire to be grounded in the word of God. And that seems like it would be automatic, but it's definitely not. We want to be people who navigate the the quickly changing culture around us and the landscape of society around us by knowing how to process what the word has to say about all the things that are moving at us. And and here's what we have seen over the last couple of years. Tons of people uh, have been tossed to uh, and fro by every new idea that has come at them. Every social push, every ethical push, every cultural push, anything that has the the momentum of the world or the culture or the voices around it, we've seen a lot of people fall for or jump into without actually looking at the thing, but they just kind of jump in. And we wanted a people who could diagnose what is true and what is false, what they should support and what they should stay away from. And and we didn't want to do this by looking at how you feel. How you feel is a terrible gauge of what you should support. And we didn't want to look at the the cultural voices or the cultural uh, momentum. We wanted to be a people who could open the word of God, believe that the word of God is not silent, and go, what does the word of God have to say about the things coming at us, and then decide what to do. With this desire in mind, that's why we broke into the book of Romans, theologically 
dense book. It's hard to understand. I warned you ahead of time, you're going to be confused some. You're going to be challenged some. You may be even frustrated at some points, but we undertook that book to learn to think like theologians, to learn the process uh, and the skill of processing hard things with an open Bible. Without turning into an influencer or a celebrity or a mentor, what we found is a lot of people were just kind of offloading the ability to think for themselves. And whenever a hard thing came, they go, well, I, I got to see what they think about this. And we didn't want that for ourselves. We, we didn't want you to have to go to a blog. Uh, God knows we didn't want you to go to Twitter or anything else like that to figure out what to think about a weighty subject. Uh, this is why we posted questions every week at the beginning of the week and started that rhythm. So if you're like, there's questions. Yeah, there was questions for you to go and look through and try and kind of process some hard subjects on your own so that you could wrestle with hard things and then grow through it. The core conviction for us is an open Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the community of God is enough to navigate even the craziest stuff that we're going to see. Uh, and to our joy, I think that that year was successful in that regard. We were challenged. We had to think and wrestle through big topics. And I believe that our, our community is considerably more equipped to walk through the, the current cultural moment now than we were a year or a year a half and a half ago without getting lost, without becoming entrenched in the ways and beliefs of the world that could possibly be ungodly. I think we're more of a tethered community in the word in an untethered culture. Praise God for that. It's a good thing for you to not get blown everywhere by everything that comes at you, for you to be able to stand on the word and go, this is my gauge for what is true, and then battle well through that. This year, uh, one of the things that we're going to focus on, or a main thing, is becoming a people of prayer together, specifically by focusing on prayer here. In the corporate gathering on Sunday when we worship together, that doesn't mean that we're not going to champion and push you towards uh, pub or uh, private prayer. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to press things like prayer in missional communities, but we're going to aim at those things through the vehicle of prayer on Sundays, prayer here when we gather uh, together. The, the contention is this basic prayers as an intro, as in, hello, I'm going to pray, and a segue, TJ's going to preach, and then goodbye, you know, like prayers in those forms are not enough. We don't want to be a, a body who just hears a prayer from another person while bowing your head, and maybe you listen, maybe you nod your head, and maybe you zone out. We want to be a people who all of us call on our personal Abba Father while we're here and ask him to work and do things and then see him meet us in our prayers. So the important aspect of this is we want to become a people who all of us connect with our Father, us, our kids, and all the members here. We want to regularly meet with the Father in prayer and not just listen to prayers or assume that we've prayed because we've gathered together. Can I lay before you the vision or expectation that every member here could once a week go before the Father of all creation at the same time and pray together? And do you believe that that would actually be powerful for a ragtag group of people all actually contended in prayer? We could, as a body, go to the Father who loves us, and he's already proven it by sending his son and asking him to meet us in our need, work in our church, work in our city, comfort our sorrow, strengthen our weakness, and maybe most importantly, depending how you grow up, this may bother you, but feel his presence and his love while we do it the tangible, felt, real presence of God. And some of you may say, well, Pastor, I'm already doing that. I pray every week. Great. Good. Keep doing it. 
and be ready to press more. We want to not just be a people who pray every week. That should be normal. We want to ask God to bring revival to us in a dry and weary land through our prayer. Here's a part of how we're thinking about it. We worked towards uh, knowledge last year. A faithful biblical worldview has to do a lot with your mind and how you process things, equipping the brain and, and teaching us to not get lost in the world around us. But knowledge isn't the final destination. and It was never the end all be all. If you take anything away from today, this maybe should be it. We do not want knowledge without the presence and power of God. Right? We do not want knowledge without the presence and power of God. We do not want to know more about the God that we are never connecting to. We want to have a knowledge and a closer walk with the Jesus that we are following and even feel that. We want the, the knowledge and the feeling of our Savior being with us. If that feels maybe too ethereal to you, if that feels troubling uh, to you, if that feels far-fetched to you, you're like, I don't really know what you mean to connect with the Father and, and know him more, here's the cool part about it. You're going to have like a year and probably more to pray about that a whole lot here. We're even going to give you the time. For those who are worried, well, this pursuit feels emotional. Maybe you've come from churches who have a more of an emotive background and all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is kind of worrying. I think we're going to get out into the emotions or the feelings. I would remind you that all of our knowledge about God still lead us to this place because knowledge about God realizes that he demands that we pray and calls us to pray. He calls us to pray, pray together, pray regularly, pray fervently. Knowledge of God leads us to speak to him and connect with him. And any knowledge of God that does not lead us there is a false knowledge that's actually building up your pride and pressing you away from God instead of bringing you closer. We don't want that. We want our knowledge to lead us to the Father and have him meet us in that place. As you can tell, today's sermon or message will be a lot different than most of ours. We uh, will discuss kind of points from here on out about becoming a people of prayer. I don't normally give three-point sermons. There's probably been five of them in 11 years. Here is maybe number six, our bread and butter exegetical preaching. If you hate this, we'll be back to exegetical preaching in a couple months or a couple weeks or a little bit. We'll see. Some of you are listening. Cool. Uh, point one why we're becoming a people of prayer. The question of why, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this now? And why is this worthy of being an element of vision for 2023 for us? Well, besides what we said before, not wanting to have the knowledge of God without the presence and power of God, uh, we're doing this because we felt like God has been leading us here for a really, really long time, actually. If you remember, we preached, uh, I think it was six-ish months before COVID ever hit our door, extensively about renewal and revival, about God leading us towards a renewal in our hearts and lives and the felt presence of God and the work of God through the Holy Spirit, all being powered by prayer. We did a lot of work of that. I, I would remind you back, there was a series about renewal, and that came off of even our time in the book of Corinthians, seeing the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And the contention was that many people in, in our body and in the West were walking through a fruitless, dry, barren, and just kind of awful Christianity. No fruit of the Spirit, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no gentleness, no self-control, and without the power of the Spirit through the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And this is not what God wants for his people or what he has for them. The underlying feeling is that God was telling us years ago, I have so much more for you. 
And prayer is the vehicle of how we are going to get there. So we began to kind of change things. We had some Sunday night prayer meetings, most of them at Ryan Holtgrew's house. I think all of them at his house where we prayed together. We laid hands on prayer. We asked God to work. We asked him to speak to us. And in that time, I think that God spoke to us through prophecy. I believe that God healed someone through something that they were struggling with for years and years and years through prayer there. And we began to make room in our Sunday gathering as well to pray here. We begin to have elders and leaders have time to, to pray for you, time for you to respond, come up, be prayed for by your community, asking the Spirit to, to work. We are making room for the Holy Spirit to do work in us through prayer, laying hands on each other, praying, asking God to do things. And, and there were some great things happening, and then COVID. Like, I'm confused, God. You're starting to, like, we were excited, and you're leading us, and we we're so sure, and... How do you lay hands and pray on people when people don't want to be near anyone? How do you labor in prayer when we can't be in the same room? How do you push towards lingering in the presence of God together when people don't want to be around anybody at all? The whole world is isolating away from each other in the homes in the time that we felt God was leading us to press in and press closer. Though we were a bit confused, I don't believe that God was. I believe that God used the time of the pandemic to do something painful and productive to refine our hearts. Uh, by really giving us a picture of what matters and what we should give ourselves to and what we should stop giving ourselves to. The pandemic, for all of its terrible attributes, did give us a valuable gift. It, re, uh, or it forced us to analyze our lives and decide what we want to be about and what we don't. COVID slowed us down to where we had to do that even if we didn't want to. And it reinforced what mattered to us as a church. And now, with all of that in place and all of that refining and all of that work done, guess what? We're back right back where we were before. So in asking the why, why are we doing this? And why now? Well, we just kind of took the scenic route. This is where we were headed for a really long time. A pandemic got dropped on our head. God healed us, brought us back, refined our hearts, changed our wisdom and knowledge, and goes, hey, I still want you back there. We might be confused. He never was. This vision isn't new. Again, it took the scenic route. Here would be my, my, my thing. I know several of the church family are gone. If you were here for that before, and you're like, I was in for that, and I was all in, and I was encouraged, and I was excited, and, and now I'm confused, I would just say, hey, man, I, we all walk through the same thing. Come with us again. Don't give up. Please come with us again. Two, Why? Not why now, but why biblically do we feel like this is where God is wanting us uh, to go? Because the elders' ideas that we say are backed by prayer, that we can't back by scripture, would be problematic, right? That's where you say amen. Mark eleven fifteen through 19 says this. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. This is Jesus. And he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it uh, a den of robbers. And the chief of priests and scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city." Do this with me. Go with me for a minute. Imagine uh, you are a complete foreigner. 
to all things God, all things church, all things faith, all things religion. You don't know what the Bible is. You have no clue what a sermon is. You have no idea what worship music is. You don't know uh, really what a call to worship would be, what tithe would be, what communion would be. You are a blank slate. There's nothing there. You know nothing about religion at all. And in that state, you walk into the temple or what would be the, the church now to witness what was going on in that structure that you knew nothing about. And if this scenario were to play itself out, you were the blank slate and you walked inside because a friend had been telling you, hey, inside there, there's something like you're not seeing elsewhere. There, there's something different. There's something profound. There's something amazing. You, you have to go. You're not going to see it anywhere else. You have to go in that place and see it. And your friend had just kind of been kind of just keeping on you about it. So you're like, fine, I'm going to go in. And then you go and you walk in to observe what they've been talking about. And yet you noticed a whole lot of activities that closely paralleled everything outside of that building. You saw commerce, money changers buying and selling. You saw the rich praying off of and profiting off of the weak. You saw entertainment that was kind of like the entertainment you'd see on television. You saw music that presented itself like a traveling concert. You saw polished presentations from polished personalities. You saw power displays and power dynamics. You saw arguments. You saw factions. You saw uh, politics at work. What would you make of your friends urging for you to go? I'd imagine you'd think, hey, man, there's nothing special about that place. It looks like the world outside. It It looks like the market. It looks like the town square. It looks like the entertainment industry. It looks like the governing bodies. Yeah, you've got a whole lot of activities, but it looks just like the world. You've just slapped some awkward religious language about it. There's nothing different here. This is why Jesus ignited in holy anger, flipped over the tables in the temple. This is why Jesus, the tender of lamb of God, became the lion of God, formed a whip, flipped tables, and chased people out why he wrecked what was happening in that day because the house of God looked just like the broken world outside of it. The kingdom of God, the outpost of God's presence, the people of God gathering around the presence of God to feel the work of God and worship the God who's done something profoundly different than anything else. That spot looked not much different than the mall. The church had traded worship of God for worship of self in God's house. Let that sink in on what that means. In the house of God, we're coming and we're slowing our schedule to meet and know him. So many people use the words, well, I go to church to be fed and and sing. You come to church to worship God. In that, there's some other things you do, but you come to worship God in the house of God where he is meant to be worshiped. People imported other things that they enjoyed, which actually caused them to worship themselves. I remember hearing a story of a preacher uh, going through this sermon many, many years ago, and it was profound, and it it just kind of messed with my heart. And and what he said is that Jesus was so upset because the weakest of people were being preyed upon. Uh, The the, the least of these were getting taken advantage of and hurt, and the money exchanging was happening. People were taking advantage of them, and and it really just moved me. We said, this is why Jesus was mad, and he was 100% correct. This is why Jesus was mad but it's not the fullness of why he was mad. There's a broader context of what was going on there. And look at verse 16. It says, Jesus wouldn't let anyone carry anything through the temple. This is a verse, I don't know, have you ever paid attention to that one before? Because I've kind of skimmed past it. And 
and maybe assumed it was talking about animals, as if Jesus came in, flipped over the tables, uh, did the whole whip thing, and then everybody's like, I'm sorry, and like most people left, or they fell in line, and then all of a sudden a guy walked in late, he was like, I got pigeons, and Jesus like, no, no, you can't bring that in here, and that, that's actually not what the text says. It says Jesus wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, not just sacrifices. It wasn't just the money changers. Jesus wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything in the temple. Why would it say that? Well, because the church had become a well-oiled machine in that day of importing things, of taking things outside in the world, outside of the the place of God and bringing them inside, of adopting the, the tools of culture and the ways of culture, of bringing in things that would distract away from what should happen in. Oh, this would be fun. Oh, this would be fun. I like this. And bringing them into the house of God. The leaders had not kept the church pure in keeping her focus. Now, sidebar, I'm, I'm all about exegesis and exegeting the culture and, and seeing that different cultures are going to look different and church here is probably going to look different than church in Kenya. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good with that. I understand that we're going to have to do some things like that, but this, this is way farther than exegeting the culture. We see this element um, of focus in the red letter words in Mark when he says this. What's he focusing on? Jesus says, isn't it written that my father's house should be called a house of prayer? I've thought about that a lot. There's a hundred things that he could have said there. A hundred things that that he could have done. And, And the thing that was noted in the gospels, multiple versions, my father's house should be a house of prayer. A prayer just for herself? No. A prayer for the nations and herself. This is her calling in that place is where the people of God meet with God. Yet the church has become a den of robbers. It looks just like the world. Again, the, the church or the Bible speaks heavily into what should happen here at church. There are a lot of people who try and muddy the waters. The Bible's actually pretty clear about what we gather and do and what we function like. It demands that we sing. For those who are like, I don't sing. The Bible demands that you sing. It demands that we lift our hands, that we worship, sometimes that we lament, that we praise, that we hear preaching, that we take communion with a right heart, that we baptize uh, people into the, the faith. But look at the one thing that he points out that cannot be missed. And here we're meant to pray. He didn't say any of the other stuff. Doesn't mean that that stuff is, is not important. But this one thing can't be replaced. The house of God is meant to be a house of prayer. If a blank slate person walks in, they should be confused by us. We should be weird to them. And they should say, man, what they do doesn't look like what is out there. And for some reason, those weirdos really value prayer. I don't even know what they're doing. I don't know who they think they're talking to. But they do it a lot. And they really actually think that it's doing something. Prayer should be the mark that people see when they come in. Not so that we present ourselves as something that we're not, but so that we can be about what God has called us to be about. Now, again, when I said, man, I've wondered at different times why he didn't list other things besides being a house of prayer. Well, Mark 11 uh, is actually a scripture that is referencing an Old Testament scripture. He said this because Jesus was actually referencing Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. It says this, And the, foreigner who join, uh, themse- and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord 
to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them, hear this, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. I love that Jesus quotes the Old Testament as he lays out that truth in the New. There are many who kind of think, well, you know, the temple and prayer, that's kind of what they did in the Old Testament, or that's kind of what the early New Testament church did. Jesus quoting in the New from the Old is showing that, hey, prayer in church transcends time. It's the mark of the church in all times. It's meant to be a marker, if not the marker of the people of God. Look at the nugget we get in verse six, though. To the people who join themselves to the Lord. See, there's a difference in in a proclamation of I'm a Christian and actually following Jesus. This is talking about the the actual, I'm walking in my faith. The people who join themselves to the Lord, those who love the Lord, not in word, but they actually love him and, and they serve him and they keep the Sabbath as in they prioritize worshiping God weekly. There's a lot of misunderstanding of the Sabbath as if it's just a day that you shouldn't work. That's part In the New Testament, the Sabbath really largely gets shifted to the day that you will block off and not put anything in a spot where you go worship God. I will stop what I'm doing to worship him. So the people who join the Lord, who love the Lord, who serve the Lord, who keep the Sabbath, who hold fast to the covenants of God, through hearing the gospel, God says, I'll bring them to my holy mountain. What is a holy mountain? Is that Colorado? A holy mountain is into my presence. This is a promise. I will bring them into my presence and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. I'll accept their worship and I'll accept their offerings to me and there'll be a house of prayer for all peoples. A little sidebar that might be interesting. One of the continual things that happened in the Old Testament is people of God would gather together and God would be like, hey, your sacrifices and your songs and the things that you do, they're disgusting to me. Why? Because the heart never matched the actual action that they were doing. You come together and you do all this stuff, but your heart is nowhere near any of that. You're not praying. You're not taking care of the weak. You don't actually love me. I will not accept your offerings. A little Bible study 101 helps us, shows you why you should check your cross-references. The text in Mark is Jesus quoting about prayer being God's house in Isaiah. But it reminds us of something, though. Not just that you and I are called to pray. It adds a beautiful nugget to it. Prayer isn't the only thing that's meant to happen in the house of God. Joy is. Joyful worship expressed, felt, lived in joy is in the house of God when the people of God meet with God by praying there. I love this. There's a promise if we hold fast to it. If you'll serve the Lord, if you'll love the Lord, if you will gather around him weekly, if you'll hold fast to his promises, enter his house to pray, his presence will meet you there and his joy will be there as well. You come regularly and you pray to the Father, and he'll come meet you there and give you joy. There's a beautiful promise that is in there for us. Now track with me, if you will, 
Over the centuries, the church has made a repeated mistake. We import things from the world into the church, thinking it'll make church better. Here's the idea. It'll make church more fun, more comfortable, more entertaining. Um, the, the, the words from before, it, it'll make it more seeker sensitive. People want to come. It'll be less offensive. All of these other things. For years, people have just gone like, hey, let's, let's bring this other thing in. And then the other people who, who aren't a part of the church, they'll like us and church more. And it'll make them more comfortable. And maybe they'll stay. And maybe they'll get to know Jesus because they're more comfortable while they get here. And when we do that, unbeknownst to ourselves, we actually ruin what is supposed to be here. Because each time you import something new, you export something old. Like, we're in the West. Like, me and Allie have been to Kenya a couple times. They meet for half a day for church, but I don't think you guys want to do that probably. Right? So if we're bringing something else in, something else has to go. What is gone? Prayer. In essence, we have often traded prayer for entertainment. We've traded prayer for what's easy. We've traded prayer for show. We've traded prayer for anything else, not realizing that what the cost of that is is the presence of God. It's the beautiful plan of God to pour joy into the souls of his children that he loves for them to come together and pray when they get there. In prayer, God meets us with his presence. I don't know if you believe that, but it's a promise of the word of God. He will meet you and lavish the gift of himself on you more and more when you come and you call out to him. So here's the hard reality that I want to kind of scratch the surface on. Part of me wants to preach on this next week, not really sure yet. The act, I'll cover that in a second. Uh, the, the, the hard reality of the church when we talk about this is if you remember in Romans 3, we have traded in church creation for creator. The thing that we were worried about doing outside of the church, we do inside the church. We trade the sacred for earthly stuff. And then we wonder why church feels boring. We wonder why it feels unfulfilling, why our soul feels like it's not built up. And for generations, people have wondered why their children leave as soon as they get a license. Because we've traded what is good for what is worthless. And the processing mind goes, well, I can get that anywhere else. And when we do that, when we're in that spot, we need to hear the words of Jesus to our hearts all over again. My Father's house is a house of prayer. You're supposed to come and meet, feel the presence of God, have him meet some of your needs. You come, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. So pray Again, realizing his presence will be there. Where the presence of the Lord is, there's freedom and there is joy. There's no one who gets into the felt presence of God in a worshiping, prayerful moment. It's like, I hated that. I pray that you'll hear these words not as duty or burden or a task. Because here's the hard thing. When we're outside of prayer, the idea of praying sometimes feels horrible. So you have to push yourself past that and hear that there's a promise of a loving God. Hey, I'll meet you if you'll come and pray. See, God is showing you that he wants to meet with you through the mechanism of prayer. He doesn't just want to hear me or an elder or somebody else pray. He wants to hear you pray. The God of all the universe wants to draw near to you. 
He wants to bring his presence in a tangible way to you. He wants to birth in you joy deeper than the oceans through coming to you, bringing his holy mountain, his presence towards you. Whether you realize it or not, it's what your soul craves. All the time you're trying to figure out what do I need and we make weird choices and I, I, I need drink or I need entertainment or I need job or I need security or I need family. I need, your soul craves the presence of God. And God goes, hey, I'll give it to you. Just come and pray. This is a big reason why the elders have prioritized uh, prayer in the gathering this year because we see that Jesus commands it from us and all churches. And we see that that is where God can do a profound work in his people. Prayer re-emerging as uh, a, a center part or a centerpiece of how we gather is also theological as well. Again, if you're worried about emotion or we over-elevating the presence of God or all these other things, let's kind of walk through it in the garden in Genesis. What happened? Before sin, before the fall, before any of that happened, man and woman were meant to walk with God. All they knew was the holy mountain with them. The presence of God was not foreign. It was normal. I don't know if you have, have felt the presence of God before. It shouldn't be a thing that happened two years ago. It should be the regular thing that the people of God see and experience. Think about that. The presence of God is not meant to be an abnormality. When we become saved, when we follow Jesus, when we put our faith in him for our sin and our brokenness, the blessing is not just that we avoid hell and punishment in the future. It's also that we have restored relationship and fellowship right now. We can be in his presence as his people because of Jesus through the vehicle of prayer now. What does that mean? It means God's people praying in God's house while experiencing his presence is literally us practicing the form of redemption that Jesus bought on the cross through his blood. Prayer is practicing our redemption and our benefit. You were once separated and alienated from God. And because of the blood of Jesus, if your faith is in him, you no longer are. When we pray, we're proclaiming and we're showing that that's actually true. This shouldn't be a chore. And it makes sense why Jesus says to us that prayer should be a marker of the church, especially in the church. And I'm not trying to contend that the prayer here is the only thing that matters. But praying here does matter. Well, Mark 11 has been in focus for us to some degree when talking about prayer. So is scripture that says that we have not because we ask not. And scriptures that call us to pray without ceasing. We want to do everything that we can to, to, to flee from a, a shallow and weak prosperity gospel in all of its forms. But I wonder if at times we try and be so reformed and flee the prosperity gospel so much we don't hold to the promises of what God actually says he will do. Pastorally, or pastorally and, and possibly prophetically, the elders want to, to kind of tell you there are real things God, that God wants to do in you and through you and for you that are waiting on you to ask him. Let that sink in. God has more for you now and he's pleased to give it to you. He wants to. If you'd humble yourself and go to him in faith as a good father and ask for it. This, of course, requires that we're praying in the will of God. I'm not advocating that you're going to pray for a Ferrari or a house in Barbados and you're going to get it. That's not it at all. But there are beautiful things that God wants to do that he's waiting for you to come in faith to him in order to do them. 
One of the biggest mistakes I see believers make currently is this, and this is the one that I'm contemplating. Just, I, want to, I want to speak more into this. I'm not sure exactly the mechanism for it yet. The biggest, believer, or the biggest mistake that I think you and I make, unbeknownst to ourselves, is accidental. Believers confuse thinking about something for praying for it, and it's devastating to our souls. We confuse talking to someone about something as praying for it. Well, God's sovereign. He knows my heart, and he knows I was thinking about it, and I, and I talked to Blake about it. Uh, it it's prayer. No, no, no. You've only prayed for something when you've prayed for it. Thinking about it isn't praying. Hoping for it isn't praying. Talking to somebody about it isn't praying. You pray for it when you go to your heavenly Father who loves you and has proved it, and you ask him. What a mistake we've accidentally made. I, I, maybe you're like, dude, I don't make that. I have. And I've thought about that a ton. Did you ask me? But I thought about it, and you knew. Like, did you ask me? Uh, no, I assumed. I assumed. Oh. A good father who saw fit to give his son to love you through his life and death is waiting for you to come to him and talk to him and ask him to work in you. I'll prod you this morning for, with a question, a simple one, right? What do you want from the Lord? Maybe you've just not thought about it. What does your heart deeply desire? Is the thing that you want most peace? And just the weight of the world and the chaos of your life, it's just so much. And what you would want the most, man, I just want calmness in my heart and my soul. I want peace. Do you want victory over a sin issue that you're getting wrecked by? Do you want help with anger that won't seem to subside? Do you want help with the, 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 the numbness, just nothing feels special or, 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 or good and, and, and you don't feel much lately? What is it that you want? Why don't you begin to ask him for it? The good father is there for you to share your heart with him. The beauty isn't just the asking. It's what happens in your heart when you open your heart to the God through speaking to him. And that's why thinking about something doesn't work and actually praying to him does. What do you want? Will you ask him for it? Like kind of like the, the, the side other just extra little question is, hey, how much do you pray here? Not how much do you listen to prayer or sing? Just a straight-up question that all of us need to wrestle with. How much do you pray here? Because it's what we're called to do. Knowing the topic of prayer can be lengthy, and we've only scratched the surface. I do not pretend that this is exhaustive at all. We're just trying to angle in at some things that God is putting in our, on our hearts. I want to remind you of some avenues of prayer surrounding the Sunday gatherings. After the sermon in worship around communion when we're singing is a perfect time to pray. Right? We want to encourage you to go to the Lord regularly in prayer then. Sit down if you need to. You can stop singing if you need to because you're praying. We should use those times as regular margin to pray with the Father. A healthy rhythm for us would look like this vacillation between a singing out of our mouth and a praying out of our mouth together each week. This is literally why we do service the way that we do. If you ever wonder, like, why don't they do a couple songs and they preach and they do a couple songs? Is, is that just the way they're trying to figure out how to do communion? Well, here's the understanding. In coming together and in worshiping the Lord and then hearing the word, what's happening there? We're hearing God speak to us. 
Asking the spirit to speak, asking him to do only what he can. So what are we saying? God, you speak before we speak. And he speaks to us through the sermon. And then we have given that time at the end. Okay, now you talk back. Now you speak to him. Now you share with him. Now you wrestle with him. Now you ask of things from him and you, and you contemplate kind of what the spirit is laying on you and you come and take communion and you're built up in the dialogue and the reality of the blessings of what God has done. That's why we do service that way. I mean, I just challenge you and ask you, pray more with us there. It's an easy time and we're putting it there to give you margin to pray. We couldn't really make it easier. Hey, here's an easy time to begin to pray more. After we close, we're going to open up some times to pray after church. That's why the back is set like that. It's why the kids are climbing on the chairs because we've got everything stacked back there. What we're hoping to do is some times that we dismiss either up front or in the back to let you have some margin to pray. Say, man, if you're, if you're wrestling with what's going on, if you need somebody to pray with you, uh, even if we're not saying, hey, here, this is a week to go do that, you just want to say, hey, hey, somebody from my MC, will you come pray with me about this? We want to leave those areas for you to be able to pray. And I want to encourage you, hey, but you don't have to do that all the time. Like I, if you're going to like, do you expect me to like use like twice a month, like three? I don't, I don't have any of that. But if you'll never have some extended time in prayer, I would go like, hey, why though? Why? And the other area that I would exhort you to use is before service. Again, we're clearing that back area every week. It's cleared first thing. What if some of your MC and you came to pray once a month or every, I don't know, you decide. It doesn't even have to be the whole crew. Just what, I'm going to go contend with my brothers and sisters in prayer before the first song is ever sang or the call to worship is given. What if some of us labored in prayer ahead of time, asking God to do what only he could do, praying for our church and our city and our hearts and the spirit to work? What if we prayed for God to save the lost minister to us? What if we were surprised by what Sundays looked like because we contended into prayer before we did any of our stuff? I think you'd also be surprised what will happen in your heart if you let God prepare your heart through prayer before we start things. Can we do family talk for a moment? I got the mic, so the answer is yeah. Some of you guys come in way too late and your heart is way too like stirred up and you wonder why you can't worship. Coming in to pray a little bit early every once in a while would probably help with that. Right? And, and I get it, man. When you got kids, you're like, hey, man, I'm just trying to like get, get one kid not to, to kill the other kid. And like we had a kid puking, like all, all the stuff that's going on. I, I get it. I'm there too. Rolling in five after 10 all the time is not a good thing for your heart to meet with the Lord. And I can just tell you that you're not primed for the presence of the Lord. Rolling in hot. There's a three avenues to participate and to push towards prayer more. We're gonna try and roll out some more. We're gonna try and figure out how to engage in corporate prayer more. Um, I'll be honest with you. I struggle at times for how do we do corporate prayer well because a lot of times I think when you do corporate prayer, a lot of people just listen to someone else. Or if you read a screen, you're like, I'm not actually thinking about what's there. We'll, we'll try and figure it out. We'll try and figure that out. But I'd ask you to join us in the pursuit of being a people of prayer more. I just tell you, hey, I can't force you to pray. But I can love you by giving you more margin and a push to pray more. So what we'll try and do is, is give you encouragement and some margin to extend times of prayer while we're here together. I hope that you will utilize it. 
I believe it in my soul that God has more in store for us as a church. We're gonna have to pray in order to get there. The elders are asking you to join us in that, uh, to labor in regular prayer to see what God may do through it. The scriptures just kind of wreck my mind. Like, was the disciples came, came to Jesus asking him a question. He goes, hey man, you, that sort of thing can only happen through prayer which means that there's certain things that you want and you aim for in your heart, desires for, and there's certain big things that you need him to do and you've worked your tail off and you don't know why it's not working and maybe the spirit would say, hey, prayer is the only way to get out of that. So we pray that you would come and join in us in prayer realizing what a beautiful gift it is to have the presence of God and the joy of God and then see his hand at work. What will he do? I'm not sure. I'm eager to find out though. The hope is for us is that we will pray prayers that we've not been brave enough to ask. And we'll ask him, we'll actually see the Lord work in ways that we never thought he would. This is a discipline we'll have to grow in. This will have to be a pursuit that we have to to grow in. And here's kind of the ask for me, and I think the other elders would model it. Help us. Because there's days that we're going to be like, yes, and excited to push forward, and there are days that we're tired too. So here's the thing. If you see us praying a little less, like, can you come and be like, hey, can we pray some more? Can, like, I, I need you to push as well and see the Lord work through prayer. The promise of his presence is better than anything else. I pray that we would walk in it more. Band, you guys can come back up. We are still going to take communion today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Even in a message about prayer, the table is still central. Friends, without the sacrifice of Jesus, we couldn't even come to the Father. It is only his sacrifice that lets us come in because he's our faithful high priest that we can approach God and speak to him. And it is the table that we remember that his body and his blood were shed for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could be redeemed. The hope is that we will grow and worship and singing and praying and communing back with God and then having our faith built up as we continue to take the table and remember, man, you've been faithful. I don't know what your 22 was like. If you were busted up, you can come to the table as a first week in 23 and say, I don't want to do that again. But you are faithful and good. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you held me. Thank you that you cared for me. Thank you that you saved me even when things were out of control. Build up my faith in you more this year. I pray you do that at the table. And I pray that we would grow in prayer together. Would you stand with me?